Hey, Bettys. Welcome to the Better Podcast. It's your host, Dr. Stephanie. It is geeky magic time where I step away from the interviews and just talk to you. It's just going to be me and you today. And these episodes, I'm going to bring you personal insights, frequently asked questions, topic du jour in a more condensed, quick, and actionable way. I go hard on the geek, wrap it up with sprinkles and magic for you to do and be better. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause and mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause. And there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam Minerals just taste like water and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. Hey, hey, Bettys. Welcome to Geeky Magic. Today, we are going to talk about how ketosis can play a role in immune function. And kind of unofficially like a keto month. We've had lots of keto experts on the pod. Uh, Dominic D'Agostino, we are talking to Dr. Sarah Gottfried as well around women, keto and food. And I have done a bunch of geeky magics on fertility and ketosis. Today, I wanted to talk about the impact of immunity. And Of course, we're going to explore therapeutic ketosis today because every time you eat, this is of course voting uh, with your fork and over the course of the year, you know, you assume 365 days, you know, let's assume that you have three uh, meals a day. This is around 1100 meals that have either fought off disease or have fed disease progression. And of course your ability, your body's ability to handle, um, whether it's chronic low-grade inflammation or acute infection. So whether that's opportunistic bacteria, viruses, and pathogens. And this is going to um, hopefully open your mind up a little bit to consider how we can use diet as a tool to reduce inflammation and to create a robust immune system. Of course, medication and medical interventions are not the only course in developing immunity. And if you only watch the news, you might think that that's the case. So irrespective of your medical status, you can become harder to kill from a natural immune perspective through the dietary choices. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. So I want to first start with inflammation and how that can alter immune function. Um, if we were just to establish what inflammation looks like, um, this is not, uh, it would all be based on lab markers. So I would be looking at, uh, a couple of lab markers, very standard blood draws that you can get from your primary healthcare provider. Namely, I would be looking for high, uh, H, 
SCRP or high sensitivity C reactive protein. I'd be looking for hemoglobin A1C. I'd be looking at fasting glucose, fasting insulin. I'd do a complete lipid profile. And that would include not just the total cholesterol, the calculated LDL, the HDL, uh, your triglycerides, but I would also include your particle number, your LDL particle number, as well as LP little a. And if you have access to a continuous glucose monitor, or if you want to do, you know, the finger prick test, you can um, look at your postprandial or post meal response to food. Uh, on that same blood draw, you could also get vitamin D levels and of course, uric acid levels. Now, all of these lab markers I discuss in my book, The Betty Body, A Geeky Goddess's Guide to Balanced Hormones, Intuitive Eating, and Transformative Sex. We talk about the lab markers, the value ranges, the functional medicine ranges, and how to achieve them. But what I wanted to talk about a little bit more in terms of inflammation is mortality, meaning death. Um, from a certain very popular virus in the news, uh, very highly COVID-19, of course, uh, highly correlated with inflammation, right? So before you are even infected with any invading pathogen, right? Any given virus, any bacteria, any, anything, the, what we want to be, uh, looking at is prior to the infection, what your baseline level of inflammation is, because the more inflamed you are, the more energy your body has to put towards quelling or dampening, uh, you know, putting out that fire, so to speak. And the less, the less reserves you are going to have towards any acute infection. And of course, when we look at severe forms of COVID, severe, you know, complications that arise uh, from COVID-19, they are characterized by a poor response of the adaptive immune system. So this is leading to a persistence in that high CRP, which I just talked about. You will also, also see elevations in cytokines, particularly IL-6. This is a cytokine that is associated with pro-inflammatory um, outcomes. And interestingly, um, not coincidentally, uh, but interestingly, these are, this is also the same inflamed state that we see in patients with chronic lifestyle diseases like type 2 diabetes, like high blood pressure, like obesity, metabolic syndrome, cardiovascular disease, coronary artery disease. So what I want to talk about today is strategies to help you reduce inflammation today, right? I want to help you become a metabolic ninja, right? So should you become exposed to and infected with any uh, invading pathogen, hopefully by imp implementing some of these strategies that we're going to discuss will lead to better outcomes for you. And I thought it was important to bring this up because it really seems like health has really become politicized uh, in the past 18 months or so. And no elected officials are really discussing the impact of nutrition and movement for a more resilient and robust population. And that's what I would like to present, uh, some science to help provide some additional color, some additional perspective 
And hopefully that's why some of you Bettys tune in each week is to get the information um, that you are not being served up uh, in traditional outlets. So this is where, you know, um, I will draw the, a line in the sand, so to speak, to state my intentions. Um, cookie cutter medicine in any shape or form that does not consider lab markers, that does not consider age, that does not consider genetics, metabolic health is just bad science. Uh, it will necessitate poor outcomes for the population that it is serving, plain and simple. So always very important, uh, in my very humble opinion, to consider diet and metabolic efficiency, which is exactly what we're going to talk about. I want any, all of you who are listening, I want you to become harder to kill. I talk about this online, uh, on my Instagram account often. Uh, I love this idea of becoming harder to kill. Like how can you become, um, you know, I often will joke and say, you know, cockroaches, how can you become a cockroach? Because we know that, you know, any kind of viral pandemic, nuclear explosion, we know that, you know, the few things that are going to survive are, you know, bacteria and, and the cucarachas. So how can we become more like these cucarachas so that we can become harder to kill, more resilient, um, and, and potentially cuter as well. So, um, let's talk a little bit about therapeutic ketosis. Okay. So being in a state of ketosis. So that is to say either by endogenous means, meaning that you are creating the ketone bodies yourself through being in a state of uh, uh, nutritional ketosis or through exogenous means, meaning that you are uh, supplementing with ketone bodies as a way to reduce inflammation. And if you want to have, um, go on a little bit of a geeky magic carpet ride, uh, go back to my last episode with, uh, Dom D'Agostino. We talk a lot about exogenous ketone supplementation and, I would offer that this is an important prevention strategy. This is important for mitigating risk, not only for the long-term disease prevention, for the obesity, for the metabolic syndrome, for the type 2 diabetes, for the coronary artery disease, the cardiovascular disease, but for the short-term risk as well, as is the case for an invading or opportunistic virus, an invading or opportunistic bacteria or pathogen. Because ketosis is a means uh, for reducing inflammation in the body. It will improve your metabolic efficiency. It's going to improve your oxygen to carbon dioxide exchange at the level of the alveoli. We'll talk a little bit about that today. Uh, for cellular respiration, like in the production of ATP. Um, and of course, the impact that chronic low-grade inflammation has on the immune system. So, um, and because we talked, because I mentioned age, I do want to just highlight some numbers uh, from the COVID virus as it relates to um, mortality. And this was done by uh, Dr. John Ioannidis and Catherine Axfors. They are um, John Ioannidis, one of the most published and influential scientists um, in the world. Uh, and I believe uh, this came out, I'll link to this in the study. And I was just reading this uh, yesterday in preparation for today's Geeky Magic. I believe it came out in August of 2021. So it's a long paper. Um, the takeaway data is that the age, so the age infection survival rate of COVID. So he's kind of broken it down into different cohorts and I'll just read them out for you. Uh, between zero and 19 years of age, people who have been infected in that age cohort have a 99.9973% survival rate. In the age group 20 to 29, 
Again, another 99.986%. The age 30, uh, the age cohort 30 to 39, 99.969. Age 40 to 49, that's me. Uh, that's my that's my age bracket, 99.918. 50 to 59, 99.73, 60 to 69, 99.41. We're seeing it. We're seeing a trend, right? 99 all the way down. And then, um, 70 plus has a, a like all, whether you are, uh, in a nursing home or like just the entire, the, he distinguishes, he's di- distinguished between, between, um, 70 year olds who were not in, um, nursing homes, they had a 97.6% survival rate. And then all 70 plus had a 94.5. I'll link out to the study in the show notes for you to review it. Um, but Dr. Ioannidis, um, as I mentioned, one of the most published, one of the most influential scientists in the world. Uh, he is a Greek American physician. He is a professor at Stanford University and he studies scientific research itself. Like he is a, he looks at meta research primarily in, in clinical medicine and in social sciences. He, he wrote an essay. I actually remember um, when this essay came out because it, it caused such an uproar, but it was in 2005. The essay was why most published research findings are false. It is the most accessed article in the history of the public library of science as of 2020 with more than 3 million views. So suffice it to say, highly respected scientists, an important voice of reason, which, you know, can be, seems to be in some cases, um, absent in many of our political leaders today. So what I'm trying to build up to here is that even though, um, this particular virus has a very high survival rate, I still want to talk about this idea of therapeutic ketosis as a metabolic intervention, as a means to reduce inflammation, to improve immunity and to make you essentially harder to kill. So when we see risk factors for any pathogen, okay, um, it's people who are already obese, who have the cardiovascular disease, as I mentioned, high, you know, hypertension, high blood pressure, who have those elevated lab markers, like I was talking about earlier. Even low vitamin D status um, can be um, can be problematic because, uh, and the reason for that, when we sort of look at all these conditions in aggregate, one of the through lines. Uh, or commonalities among all of them is very likely all of these chronic uh, lifestyle diseases is elevated insulin, hyperinsulinemia. And insulin, of course, not here to demonize insulin. It is a very important hormone when it is kept in check, right? Important for thyroid function. It's important for muscle protein, like the prevention of muscle protein degradation, of course, insulin's job, one of its main jobs that it's really known for is taking substrate from the, uh, you know, the blood, the plasma and getting it into your cells so that they can make ATP. And so even in a low vitamin D environment, this is also in part related to a hyper insulinemic environment because D vitamin D requires magnesium and you know, not surprisingly with a high insulin environment, magnesium is depleted. So of course, when magnesium is depleted, so goes the fate of vitamin D. 
So of course, what I'm talking about here, I want to be super clear is not regular insulin secretion. I don't want you to be afraid of insulin. It's high insulin. It's dysregulated insulin. And when we see this dysregulated, um, insulin behavior, this is when we are looking at a patient's or in aggregate patient's uh, lifestyle. It is an overconsumption of total care uh, calories with specifically an overconsumption of processed carbohydrates. And when the body is subjected to this, this over like uh, consumption of calories, overconsumption of these processed carbohydrates, we have this sustained insulin, high insulin environment over this long delta, over this long period of time. And this is where we become easier marks, right? This is where we come, become easier to kill when we muck up our metabolic gears and we begin to sow the seeds of metabolic dysfunction. And then of course you layer this on top of, uh, this excess carb, excess caloric consumption. You, you, you layer a sedentary lifestyle on top of it, where we are sitting or not moving, uh, for most of the day where we are consuming seed oils, which is very much, uh, ever prominent in processed foods. Then you have poor sleep and you have lack of natural sunlight because uh, we are indoors, this is a perfect storm to create this weakened immune system that does not have the reserve to fight off an acute attack. So when we are hyperinsulinemic, this is an environment that will promote glucose oxidation, free radical formation, systemic inflammation. It will also lower something called NAD, which is a necessary element in mitochondrial function and ATP production. And um, spoke about NAD extensively with many guests, but one in particular, Dr. David Sinclair. Um, NAD is really, really important because it is required for something called sirtuin activity. And sirtuins are protectors. They are the protectors of our epigenome. And they lose their activity over time and they will require two things to be, to maintain activity. One is the NAD, the fuel or the substrate for them. And then the other thing that they require is an accelerator like resveratrol. And without NAD, we'd essentially be dead because there's no, like your, your mitochondria cannot produce ATP. And so our NAD levels therefore correlate and control sirtuin activity. And one of the things that we know, of course, is that NAD levels, they decline as we age. Uh, Dr. Sinclair has uh, posited that the measurements of NAD are about 50%. So when we are 50, we have 50% of the NAD uh, that we had when we were 20 years old. And NAD, you can deplete NAD by many, you know, age is one of the easiest ways to deplete NAD, unfortunately, but of course, physical stressors, chemical stressors like chemotherapy, uh, other medical interventions can also deplete NAD. And when we think about manipulating and improving and increasing NAD levels, uh, you can actually manip your environment. So you can manipulate some of these lifestyle verticals that we've been talking about to lift NAD levels. So uh, exercise is one way for you to augment NAD levels. Fasting uh, is one way. A ketogenic diet is one way for you to augment NAD levels because we are restricting a macronutrient. And then of course you can have temperature um, manipulations as well. So like being colder uh, or even heat as well. 
Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. Element T also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want, and if you don't like it, they will refund your money no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. I, I feel like one of the things that we want to be controlling for here is um, thinking about some of these um, micronutrients. I'm going to get, I promise I will get to uh, the actionable items, but I want to give you the science um, so that you can make an informed decision for yourself in terms of how you want to go forward with this. And just kind of rounding out the, the, what this hyperinsulinemic state also does. It also contributes, of course, to poor lipid profiles because the liver is now going to be outputting more VLDLs. Uh, It also contributes to blood clot formation, all of these things. So if you want to control your insulin, one of the best things that you can do is to control your glucose, right? And this is achieved in a ketogenic diet, like the one that I formulated called the Estima diet, where we control for calories. So the calories are also, uh, we also look at calories, but there's going to be a lowered carbohydrate intake. And the carbohydrates that you are consuming are vegetables. And in doing so, you attenuate all of these downstream reactions that we've been talking about that this hyperinsulinemic environment produces. And actually there was just a paper that just came out, just came out uh, with uh, David Ludwig as the primary author. And he uh, was discussing the physiology behind the carbohydrate insulin model of obesity. So this is often um, shortened to CIM, carbohydrate insulin model of obesity. And they discuss why through the consumption of excess carbohydrates that this creates um, substrate partitioning, meaning that Uh, when you consume these rapidly digestible carbohydrates, you create an increase in fat deposition. I will link out this study in the show notes. Um, It's it's a pretty big study. I think it's a very important one. Uh, And I actually think that this study in and of itself warrants a geeky magic, uh, like a more fulsome discussion, uh, looking and comparing the sort of traditional, more dominant, eat less, move more, this like energy balance model, uh, sometimes referred to as calories in, calories out, uh, and the carbohydrate insulin model of obesity. So we'll, we'll kind of shelf that for a future geeky magic, but I just wanted to make sure that it was uh, in your realm of, um, of knowledge and awareness as well. And the other, the other piece that I want to discuss here when we're talking about ketosis and immunity is visceral fat and excess adiposity. Um, specifically, when we accumulate excess ad- adipose tissue, fat 
is a, you know, we used to sort of think that it was this like benign, just kind of like jiggly wiggly, nothing. It's, it's, a, it's an endocrine organ as well. It is a signaling organ as well. It will, it contains macrophages that, that secrete uh, pro-inflammatory cytokines like the IL-6 that we mentioned, other things like tumor necrosis factor, alpha, um, IL-1, like these different cytokines that are sort of pro-inflammatory to the body when there's too much. Uh, when there's too much uh, adipose tissue. And of course, there's a decline in the cytokines that help reduce inflammation that are anti-inflammatory. And then of course, this will start this, you know, if we were to think of scales of like inflammation, anti-inflammation, it starts to tip the scales towards inflammation. And then we start to see this central, some of these central organs like the brain, uh, like the liver, uh, like our musculoskeletal, like like our muscles becoming, uh, uh, more, uh, inflamed and more insulin resistant. And when we are tipping the scale, so to speak, towards that pro-inflammatory state, you begin to activate pro-inflammatory pathways like the NLRP3, so many letters there, but NLRP3 inflammasome. And it also affects our epigenome, um, where we will start to see, uh, genes that will begin to, uh, up, uh, these pro-inflammatory genes that will begin to be upregulated that of course encode for more inflammation. And so the vicious cycle propagates itself. So when we think about visceral fat in particular, this is the one that I really want to try and help you or the people that you love um, reduce. And this is usually in men, this is typically like that spare tire or even like pot belly appearance in men, uh, the apple morphology appearance in women. Um, And it's actually something that my menopausal women we want to be more concerned with because as we, as menopausal women, as we move to a lower estrogen environment, it's very easy to begin to have this ectopic fat distribution at play because estrogen often dictates fat distribution for, uh, for women in their reproductive years and sort of like the, the hips, the bum, uh, and the thighs. And once we are now in that lower estrogen environment, we will now start to see if we're not careful, more fat distribution centrally in our women. So, um, and I should say as well that visceral fat, so that like ectopic fat distribution is a predictive, reliably predictive marker of insulin resistance. And of course it is independent, independently associated with the need for, um, uh, intense, like, uh, it, you know, for admittance to the uh, ICU, strongest predictor of complications from COVID-19 is um, insulin resistance. So as a nutritional approach, not, a, and I'm not saying that this should replace anything else, but this should be in addition to any other measures that you choose. This nutritional approach should be aiming to improve your insulin sensitivity And that in and of itself is a consideration for a better prognosis, for a better outcome. And then the other thing to consider, I just want to talk a little bit about this as well, is that patients with excess adipose tissue will have alterations in uh, their respiratory physiology and their immune uh, response, meaning that... um, inflammation that is caused by 
uh, excess adipose, excess adiposity is going to create this pro-inflammatory environment again that moves them away from optimal pulmonary function. So lots of, lots of data to suggest that when you are carrying excess adiposity, that you will have a uh, very likely for you to be hypoxic, meaning that your oxygen saturation levels are lowered. You will have impaired gas exchange at the level of the alveoli. You will have um, reduced expiratory reserve, meaning that your ability to expire, your ability to offload CO2 gas is going to be decreased. You have lower functional residue capacity. And then you also have a poor response to antiviral therapies as well as vaccines. And interestingly, fat tissue can also accumulate in the lung. I mean, fat can kind of accumulate anywhere. And it, it very uh, closely resembles when we look at asthmatics, when you have, uh, an, uh, you know, this, um, when we have asthmatics having these asthma attacks, there's this like infiltration of uh, certain cells that can cause this, um, that can kind of come from the, um, that can, that can obviously prevent uh, proper breathing. So also wanted to just point out that this excess visceral fat has, it's not just like, frig, I got to get like bigger pants or like, you know, a new notch in the belt. It has real consequences in terms of life expectancy, in terms of pulmonary function. And of course, um, and of if there's any type of acute infection for your ability to deal with that. So we want to be really thinking about how we can, um, how we can be reducing visceral fat. And I should also say many viruses, not just COVID-19, many viruses, cytomegalovirus, hepatitis, influenza, they actually need your body to be in a state of fat deposition. Meaning um, when you are consuming these excess carbohydrates, your body will create more adipose tissue, this fatty acid synthesis. When we switch you from this like fat deposition or this um, uh, you know, you are always consuming excess carbohydrates. When we switch you to being in ketosis, where you've essentially halted that fatty acid synthesis, and now we are through caloric restriction and through uh, carbohydrate restriction, we are now tapping into the adipose tissue and we are now in a lipolytic state, meaning that we are breaking down the triglyceride. We are breaking down the fatty acid um, for, for use as a substrate. This is actually how we can stop um, these viruses, pathogens, all types of pathogens um, from continuing their, um, their effect on, on the patient. So all this, all this stuff, what can we do? Um, the good news is, is there's actually quite a bit that's under your control. So we start at the start. We control your glucose availability, right? So... That includes changing, and this was a great conversation that I had with Dr. Casey Means on the podcast, changing what, when, and how you eat, right? So when we're thinking about what you eat, we are thinking about removing the baseline standard American diet, removing things like sugar, removing things like flour, removing things like cookies and chips and crackers, processed foods, baked foods, 
even the stuff that comes frozen, you know, we always, and even, you know, um, you know, protein bars and things, any type of processed food, they are going to put in sneaky sugars. They're going to put in sneaky carbohydrates. They're also going to put a lot of emulsifiers, which absolutely wreak havoc on the microbiome. Your carbohydrates should be vegetables, the vegetables that you yourself cut. Okay. All colors of the rainbow, preferably in season, right? Like strawberries in the summer, oranges in the winter, that kind of thing. Um, if you've known me for more than a minute, you know that I yammer on and on about the importance of fiber and our microbiome health, um, both in prebiotic or resistant starch form, as well as the importance of the roughage of the plants that you're eating to help act as sort of like a pipe cleaner, right? Because essentially uh, the, the digestive system is just a tube, right? Starting at the mouth, ending at the anus. Uh, but what we need to be able to do is clean the parts that we can't reach, right? Like we can reach like the, the ends of that tube, but we the parts that we can't reach, like the small intestine, the large intestine, we need to clean with those green leafy vegetables and the fiber that is contained within them. The other thing that you can do is, of course, when you eat, time your carbohydrate intake around resistant training. I have talked about this on the pod before, always after a lift session. My lift sessions are usually in the morning. Feed my muscles with protein and I feed my body with carbohydrates. So the protein, a minimum of 25 grams, at least 2.5 grams of leucine to start that muscle protein synthesis. Typically it's like a protein, you know, shape, like whey protein with some water. Um, probably leg day, I'll say it's, there's more, there's more protein. I usually do like 40 to 50 grams on leg day because I'm just done after legs and friends don't let friends skip leg day. So make sure you do your leg day Betty's. And of course I also will pair the carb, the protein, uh, shake, uh, well, it's like protein and water. I don't really know if you can call that a shake, but I'll call it a shake. Um, you also need carbohydrates, right? To stimulate, properly stimulate insulin and to also augment the effects that the protein is having, having, but most importantly, it's to prevent muscle protein breakdown. Another kind of tip around when you can eat, just trying generally to finish your meal three hours before bedtime. In the evening, we are much more insulin insensitive. So it is not the best idea to be having lots and lots of carbs in the evening. Although there are exceptions for every rule, often uh, when I'm working with women with HP axis dysfunction who are having trouble sleeping, a little carb bolus in the evening sometimes can help, but that's not everybody. And then of course, the last uh, piece, well, there's two more pieces, but I would say nutrient timing, eat your fats and proteins first, and then eat your carbohydrates last. Your stomach empties these macronutrients at different rates. So carbs are emptied the fastest, fats are the slowest. So if you can, um, so when you're looking at your plate, consume the fat and the protein first, and then consume the, um, uh, you know, the rice or the potatoes or the veg last. And then the last piece in terms of what you can do is just get up and walk after an, a, a large meal. Your bigger muscles when you're walking will preferentially soak up the blood glucose that you have, um, you know, that your body has extracted from those carbohydrates. So if you've messed up, you had four slices of pie instead of one, you know, just throw on a jacket, you know, go for a 30 minute walk, uh, help your muscles, like fill your muscles with that muscle glycogen that you can then fuel for your next epic lift. So that's really all around 
trying to have optimal glucose regulation. I would say on top of that, the Estima diet, which is if you're a woman, this is a female centric ketogenic program. Uh, and it has two main phases to it. There's a short term ketosis in phase one, and then there's cyclical keto with higher protein in phase two and all the meals, all the thinking, all the calculating, all that's been done for you. So I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to check that out as well. Um, and then the last two points I, I want to talk about is movement and supplementation. So I know we touched a little bit on movement in terms of like post prandial walks and of course, resistance training, but as a general rule of thumb, when we're thinking about reducing inflammation, remember that your muscles are also an endocrine organ. They will also secrete myokines. They will also help reduce inflammation. So low level activity throughout the day low level activity throughout the day trumps one specialized activity all day, every day, all day, every day. It is far better to be walking and gardening and puttering around the house, you know, at multiple points during the day than just only doing, let's say one session, one cardio or one lift session, and then plopping your butt on your you know, at your desk for the rest of the day. And this is actually very, very common in Western culture where we all want to do our, our big workout. Like I also fall into this category. I like to do my, my big workout in the morning, but I also have to remember to continue to walk during the day. So I do something called movement snacks. So instead of going to the fridge for a snack, I'll take a little five, uh, you know, every hour on the hour, I'll take a five or 10 minute break, 10 pushups, 10 sit-ups, 10 squats. Uh, if I'm feeling like I got a lot of energy, those squats will become jumping squats. Uh, if I'm feeling I have even more energy, those might be 10 pull-ups as well. And I will try to do that all through the day. And when we look at, you know, some of our blue zone, um, uh, cousins, if you will. Um, a lot of them are moving, you know, when I think about, I think about Greece and I think about Italy, which is where, you know, I have a lot of exposure to both, both of those cultures because my, um, uh, because I love the Greek language. I uh, was married to um, a Greek man and I was integrated with his family for many, many years. And, you know, just also loving Italian culture and loving the Italian language. These, like these women and these men, they were like herding goats and donkeys and all, until they were, you know, 90, right? So they're like walking up and down mountains and all over the place. So they weren't like going to CrossFit and not having carbohydrates. And if you actually think of the, you know, sort of classic Italian diet, there's a lot of carbohydrates in it, right? They make, they hand make their own pastas and, and whatnot. So I think it's really important to have this low level generalized movement um, through the day. And then finally, as a little, my last little nugget for you is uh, supplementation either with exogenous ketones, right? I think those are positive, uh, you know, signaling molecules that are going to inhibit the uh, inflammatory pathways like the NLRP3. Uh, they will upregulate T cell activity, of course, essential component of fighting, you know, a virus or, or reducing viral load. And then supplementing with zinc and magnesium, essential. Um, I think every woman should be supplementing with magnesium because we have are either bleeding every month and we are losing a lot of the magnesium through our menstrual blood, or if you're menopausal, because you have bled for 40 plus years. Uh, very, very important magnesium. Uh, it's involved in over 300 functions in the body. Um, the other thing I would say as well, cheap and free is to get out into the sun. 
without the sunscreen. Okay. Forget the sunscreen, get some natural and no, no shades either. No, no sunglasses, no sunscreen. Get yourself a tan ladies, get some natural vitamin D and you know, winter's a coming, right? This is, um, recording this in September right now. Uh, I would love for you to work up a tan as much as you can so that over the winter months, when we are not out as often, we're not exposed to that natural sun, um, that you will have those stored up levels of vitamin D as well. All right. So this concludes my little geeky magic carpet ride on ketosis and immunity. I hope that you found this youth useful and hopefully it can help you integrate into whatever health practices you are already doing, um, that this will help to, uh, refine your thinking a little bit in terms of how we can help our immune systems become more resilient, more robust, and to reduce the load that they have to deal with on an everyday basis. Because when we do have whatever emergency it is that we are better equipped. And as I mentioned, um, at some point in the podcast, I think that it's really a shame that we see our political leaders not talking about this. So that's why I'm stepping up and talking to you about things that can help you augment your already existing health practices, because this is such an important consideration. What we eat, you know, you are what you eat and you are what you absorb. And I think that it's so, so important for us to be thinking about how we can modulate uh, nutritional choices to help reduce inflammation and just be bigger badasses like the you know betty badasses if you will um to help us become harder to kill so hope you enjoyed this and we'll see you we'll see you next week i hope you enjoyed today's episode for those of you who want to continue on this week's geeky magic carpet ride with me visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes you'll find research links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you.